Hello, and welcome to the Rainbow Connection, the podcast where we talk about the wonderful works of Jim Henson in honor of the new year and the new beginnings that come with that. We thought we'd talk about some beginnings for the Muppets. And so we are talking about Sam and Friends. Yes. Sam and Friends, the first thing with Muppets, as far as I know. Yes. The first thing with Muppets, besides maybe a couple commercials. We watched 40 minutes of Sam and Friends that we found on YouTube. Because, again, there is not really a release of this. I'm going to read selection from the Jim Henson Company archives to introduce Sam and Friends. Okay. Uh, Quote, Sam and Friends, Jim Henson's first television program on local Washington and Baltimore television, aired each weekday, often twice a day, for six and a half years. By the time the show ended its long run, Jim's characters, firmly identified as Muppets, were known across the country through appearances on national talk and variety shows and in hundreds of commercials. Along with his professional development, during that period, Jim attended and graduated from college, met and married his wife Jane, traveled to Europe, and had two daughters. It was an extraordinarily productive time in his life and set the stage for the next 30 years. I mean, like, how old was he when he did this, though? Because, like, that six years generally maybe has the marriage and kids part, not necessarily the becoming a national success part. Either way, that's a pretty impressive run. I don't know what TV used to function like in, because this was, what, in the 50s? Uh, yeah, it started mid-50s. It ran until 1961. Wow. It started in 55. May of 1955. So almost exactly halfway through 1950. Yep. It was a decade. So Sam and Friends consists of five-minute shorts mm-hmm. that were shown on Washington and Baltimore television stations through that time period and have some familiar faces, but mostly not. Yeah, so a lot of the characters that were used in the show were actually like handmade puppets that Jim built himself, including the title character, Sam, who is actually, and there's a couple of the puppets that are like this, made of like solid material. Like Sam is made of paper mache. Okay. Which is why he has kind of a like, stiff look about the way that he moves yeah the thing is they're called muppets but only a couple of them or you know probably most of the cast or 50 50 are what you would call like what you would think of when i said muppets which is the soft felt like hand puppets that jim henson company like usually works in nowadays so there were a a handful of those but then there were a couple outliers who were not Outliers, it was about 50-50. Sam, the titular character, who is like a humanoid, human-looking, papier-mâché man. Um, yes. The color is less important here because a lot of it was black and white. Yeah, the early episodes were all black and white. It transitioned into color with you know, the rest of TV as it got towards the 60s. Yeah, towards the end of its yeah. run. Which it seems like most of the episodes that exist, we'll get into why a lot of the episodes just don't exist anymore but a lot of the ones that do exist are from the later half of the series because in addition to a handful of them being in color the ad buys from sk meats and wilkins coffee didn't start showing up until after the show was already pretty firmly established it sounds like so that's interesting 
Yeah, so this is yeah. worth noting. Like, 50% of the material of Sam and Friends seems to have been sections that were joking advertisements for SK Meats and Wilkinson's Coffee. Fantastic ads. Usually so pretty good. great ads, yeah. yeah. This episode is brought to you, by the way, by SK Meats, quality meat products. No, it's not, because <laughs> that company only exists in, like, Washington or Baltimore. It's... It still does still exists, exist. Though. That meat company's been around for like over a hundred years at this point. It was over a hundred years when they were advertising this in the sixties. So what it's is quite the meat products? What is Salmon Friends? So it's a variety sketch show, essentially featuring these puppets. Uh, in addition to the title, char- title character Sam, a bald man with round ears and like a big round nose his ears look like a donut (laughs) cut in half and pasted on either side of his face yeah and again this is not a muppet in the traditional sense he is a hard bodied he looks more like a traditional ventriloquist dummy yeah he doesn't look like a ventriloquist dummy in a lot of ways this is going to be the first of many times i'm going to say i think a lot of stuff in this probably felt more familiar and less weird if you were a child in the 50s and 60s because ventriloquist dummies are kind of one of those things that, unless they're felty, everybody kind of agrees is kind of creepy now. But, like, half of these puppets have that quality. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, continue with your list of, of Sam so, and his friends. In addition to Sam, we have his friends. One of the most enduring stars of the show was Kermit, who at this point was not a frog. He was just a lizard, which... The only real difference in how the puppet looks is he doesn't have the frill around his neck. He's just like a solid piece of felt. Yeah, I don't... Do we know? Did you look up why there was a transition from Kermit to Kermit the Frog? Because the Not... character was established for like yeah. six years in mm. like nationally. <laughs> like It's weird to change his species at that point in time. There's nothing that I found when I was looking into Salmon Friends specifically. So I don't know where that change actually took place. Yeah, but... uh, all of the shows we saw, he did not have his frill. <laughs> Otherwise, he does look basically the same. His voice is almost actually right most of the time. Yeah, they... Jim... Kermit was down from, like, <laughs> pretty early. Jim must have had Kermit really well established from the get-go in like in his head. Because, yeah, the, the Kermit of Sam and Friends is remarkably dissimilar to the Kermit of the modern-day Muppets. He's a little less of a straight man. A little bit? He's still straight man in a lot of the sections, but sometimes he's a lot more goofy. He reminds me a little bit of of the growth of another mascot character, Mickey Mouse, who Mickey Mouse started off similarly as a very jokey character and then later kind of became the straight man in his own universe by virtue of being kind of boring. Mm. But Kermit isn't boring, so it's not a fair comparison on the part of Kermit. <laughs> However, Kermit has never had the chance to wear like a creepy hood and like hit people with a giant key. So I don't know, maybe it goes out. <laughs> oh man, a Muppet's world would be great. <laughs> we'll do an entire podcast anyway. about my Muppet uh, pitch for <laughs> Kingdom Hearts another time, maybe. But uh, uh, tell me more. Tell me more about these puppets right. that aren't Kermit. So we've got Kermit. Uh, we've got Sam. We've got Kermit. We've got Yorick. Who is one of the weirder ones. Yorick is basically a disembodied head. Oh, Yorick is the creepy one. Yes. Yorick is the creepy purple head. So it's another solid one. He's just kind of a skull-like head with a round nose and occasionally like 
one hand, like one human hand, like a full human hand next to his body. But his head's not the right size for that. Yeah. So it's like a little bit upsetting looking. One also, of the weird ones, for sure. His eyes are really deep inset into his head, which is a bit weird. Yeah. Because usually Muppet head fit, eyes are like very much on the surface or like on top of the heads. He has like inset eyes. Yeah. He's a character. Yorick is a character. Mm-hmm. They do this thing with these puppets also. A couple of them have the like human hand thing and the size isn't quite right. They're not quite as cartoony in proportion as they get later. So on occasion, they'll be doing their something with their hands and they'll just be like, okay, that's that's not right, but okay. Yeah, they don't function quite like Muppets do now. I mean, obviously, but... there's some growth to be had yeah. throughout a career. So, you can you know. see Jim Henson kind of honing his craft that will get a lot better later. This craft will get craftier. <laughs> we have another very popular character from the show, uh, Harry the Hipster. He's like a 60s beatnik character. He wears sunglasses and talks in like 60s hip slang. Yeah, he sounds very jazzy. Yeah. He's, I liked Harry. Harry's, Harry was... Yeah, Harry's great. He was probably my favorite character besides Kermit <laughs> because, I don't know, he was just fun. He's very like... Proto, Ralph, and the people from Electric Mayhem. He has a lot in common with those characters. And I like those characters. And he's in some of my favorite bits. So I enjoy Harry the Hipster quite a lot. And his design is... I think I had him in my notes when he was first popped up and described him as like a sock puppet. Because he is a Muppet, but he does not have that much like bulk around him. That isn't just like wrist and hand. Yeah, he He's is. a very slender Muppet. He is actually essentially just a sock made out of felt. Yeah, he's like a sock. With some glasses. With some glasses and like a bit of hair. Which it sounds like he is one of the early like experiments with making the puppets out of felt instead of out of more solid material. Him, him and Kermit. He's a lot more likable to me than the other ones, so I don't know, plus, yeah. plus for Harry. It does make them more expressive, being able to see the way the hand is moving inside. Like, you can scrunch their face yeah, up. Yeah, it, the, it gives them more facial movement and more expression, which is kind of important for characters like this. But Yeah, if it's comedy especially, yeah. which this is comedy. And one of the reasons why ventriloquist dummies are creepy to modern audiences now, and why the ones that aren't as creepy or well-liked are all made of felt, even like Jeff Dunham, who is not funny and his stuff isn't good, but his puppets are vaguely likable looking, largely because they're not hard, creepy puppets. Anyways, more characters. More. I demand. We have Professor Madcliffe, who... We saw in a couple of the ones that were in this collection. He is mostly a mustache. Yes. (laughs) He is like a rounded kind of conehead looking dude with very large eyes and just a crazy mustache. Eyes that have like hard linings on the outside so they kind of read his glasses. He's a little bit kind of proto-Beaker with maybe a bit of like, like kind of Bunsen and Beaker combined. With a mustache. Yeah. A big fuzzy mustache. He, he's also a good one. He wasn't in very many of the shorts, so I didn't get much of a sense of what kind of a character he was, but, you know. I like the design. Yeah. We have chicken liver. Chicken liver? Chicken liver. I don't think we... Ex- oh, chicken liver chicken is kind of weird looking, honestly. Yeah. But not in the felt way, like, not in the hard puppet way. He's just kind of got a 
got face and a half on him. Yeah, he's like a full, fully humanoid puppet, but again, soft, some kind of felt. He has a, like a big round nose and a top hat. By big round nose, we don't mean like like I don't know, like a bird or not like a clown nose. Like a like his whole head is a nose. Yeah, like a third of his face is taken up by a nose. He looks like an Easter Island head. Yeah, that's a good way to describe. (laughs) But soft and like he has a head cold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He is a recurring character in a lot of these sections, and seems to be a lot more of the like old manny kind of like position. Yeah. So I guess he's. Proto Waldorf and Stanley, but not really. Uh, he's interesting. Yeah, and then we have the day players Hank and Frank, which are two identical puppets that just look like dudes. Yeah, the newscasters. Yes. Hank and Frank. Hank uh, and Frank are two generic looking human puppets that uh, in the in the sketch that we saw with that featured them, they play two newscasters that are kind of fighting over attention. They are interesting looking. They remind me of like an old stop motion character. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, I think it was really early Ardman. The big eyes and little pointy nose. Yeah, I don't remember. I can't remember his name. I don't remember the name, but (laughs) But yeah. He does look like that guy. There are these rounded heads with pointy noses coming off them and they're bald and just have big kind of blank eyes yeah they're kind of nondescript yeah they're also not terribly like characterized they're mostly just used in whatever bit they're around for yeah they're the background players yeah they're fun they show up in a number of sketches just doing stuff in the background these are the ones that are mainly in the surviving sketches uh there are other puppets that were in sam and friends but there isn't a lot to go on as far as what they were like. There was one more puppet that I remember being in one of the sketches that we saw that was a snake. Yes, there is the snake. I liked the snake design. He had little cute little fangs. And I think he had stripes. Yes, Icky Gunk is the snake. That is a weird name. He has he's arms, so I guess he's not a snake, but Icky Gunk. <clears throat> Yes, there's Icky Gunk the snake, there's uh, Mushmelon, Henrietta. Well, we did see Henrietta in a few. We did see Henrietta. Uh, Henrietta that. is the original female Muppet, because yes. we can only ever have one of those. There's Omar, there's Moldy Hay, uh, Pierre the French Rat, which I don't think we saw in any of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We can't, like, even begin to comprehend what the sketches were with characters with these kind of names. It's not like we can fill in the blanks reasonably either, eh? Mm-hmm. Like, tell me, what do you think a sketch with Pierre, the French rat, consists of? I don't know. Or Moldy Hay. Seriously, uh, though. I mean, I think we did see Moldy Hay in one or two of the sketches that we saw. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the singer in the Cece Vaughn sketch. Right. That is quite the name. I don't understand. There is a lot in this show that I feel is culturally... Because, I mean, it was a TV show yeah. in the 50s and 60s. It was like a short variety thing. They probably had to make it like on a daily basis. Well, they did actually pretty much do it. They pretty much did it live. For a lot of the episodes because 
just the way broadcast technology worked back then. Part of the reason we don't have so many of the episodes is because they would record them and then just wipe them immediately because they reused their Their stock. stock. Yeah, this is a common problem with television archiving and... I don't think we're going to have a bunch of, like, surprise footage show up, unfortunately. Yeah. It's one of the things that occasionally will happen with this, which is a common problem where TV used to be recorded over itself, so you would lose episodes almost instantly because nobody knew what was important, and nobody cared, and nobody thought about archiving anything, is occasionally it would get sent to another station, and they would have a print for whatever reason. So they found, like... A, yeah. a handful of like classic era Doctor Who episodes a few years back because they'd gotten sent to like Nigeria or something like that. This isn't going to happen with Sam and Friends though because it was only premiering in Baltimore and Washington. Right? Yeah, it, it was a local station, a local show. I it didn't really air outside of the like Washington State area, so we probably won't find anything showing up. Uh, the ones that do survive or have survived, are mainly things that Jim Henson himself wanted to keep for posterity, whether he wanted to, like, review it because something in it was interesting to him and he wanted to be able to reference it, or because he really liked it and wanted to have it to refer back to. So most of the ones that survived are ones that were specifically chosen to be kept for some utility or because they were a favorite of Jim Henson's. Which does mean we do have some really fun, interesting bits in it. So do you want to get into the actual like shorts now? Or? Let's dive into the actual so, yeah. uh, episodes. So the stuff we watched was 38 plus minutes on YouTube. Somebody had made a big compilation video that we could access. There was other places that it was it has been produced. It's been on some archives and the Jim Henson company and whatnot, but we didn't get our hands on those. Yeah, the existing ones are at the Paley Center for Media and the Museum of the Moving Image. That's where essentially the entire existing catalog is spread between those two places and the Jim Henson archives. Yes, and probably not accessible to rando podcasters, so... But uh, luckily, there was a 38-ish minute collection of Sam and Friends shorts on YouTube collected by somebody. I don't know exactly where they came from, but they were uh, recorded off of a VHS tape, it looked like. Yeah, I mean, they had title cards on them, which didn't look uh, native to me. Like, they didn't read like they were part of the original broadcast. But other than that, it might have been stolen from some archival footage or from some earlier release. And all of these were brought to you by SK. SK, quality meat products. <clears throat> a lot of SK. The YouTuber that posted them is a Radioactive Warrior. I don't know anything about them, so if they turn out to be problematic, I don't know anything about them. That's just the compilation that we found. Yeah, it was handy, but we have no other comments. So the very first one on here was, had, what did you say their names were, Hank and Frank? Yes, Hank and Frank. Hank and Frank and Kermit. And Hank and Frank were newscasters for NBC News. Yes. So this episode is uh, Huntley and Brinkley, and it's a parody of an NBC News uh, show, The Huntley-Brinkley Report. The sketch is essentially Kermit is interviewing 
Chet Huntley and David Brinkley, two different NBC News anchors, one from New York and one from Washington. Who have the same face and essentially the same voice. They look exactly the same. They have the same voice, which is essentially the joke is that they're the same person. Yeah, it seems like it's very much digging at news. And I assume this was run on on the NBC run channel. So it seems kind of like they're biting the hand that feeds them a little bit. But, you know, it's a really funny sketch. It's funny. I feel like it was probably much funnier for like an adult watching their child in like 1960 or 58 or whatever this released. Yeah. Because there's probably (laughs) some very specifics to it. Because nobody watches the news on, well, not nobody, but fewer and fewer people watch the news on TV anymore. So the news broadcaster as a like cultural figure is seceding from popular memory. But it's still very solid because the puppets are funny and, you know... Yeah, the idea Kermit's of, doing his best. The man. idea of celebrity newscasters is not really a thing anymore. Uh, but the joke is good. Uh, the sketch is good. It might be uh, it's it's one of my favorites of the ones on this collection. One of the interesting things about it is that all the characters are straight men, but the humor still works somehow. Yeah, everybody is, thinks they're doing everything straight, but it's they're really not. Uh, Kermit is just trying to get some interesting answers out of these people, and he's just not capable of it. Also, Kermit is basically just Kermit, and that's really interesting that the very first thing we saw of this show is just Kermit doing his thing, being Kermit. Not the frog, but Kermit nonetheless. Then after that, the next one was a meat advertisement for SK's Fine Meats with Professor Mustache and Eyes and Stoner-sounding Black Sock Puppet with Glasses, (laughs) who we already described as a... The Professor and Harry the Hipster. This was just like an ad break. I don't actually, I didn't have any notes on it. I don't even remember what it was. After that was a very long, comparatively, section called Powder Burn. Yes. Which is a play on Gunsmoke and other westerns of the time. Yes, Powder Burn is a western parody of the tv show gunsmoke which essentially involves uh marshall dilly played by chicken liver is the sheriff of this western town and kermit who i don't remember the character that kermit's playing in this but kermit comes in to tell marshall dilly that black bart is coming into town who is played by yorick and marshall dilly makes excuses for not going out to face Black Bart and also makes lots of puns. Yeah, it's very much uh, he is a coward and puns. Yep. There's also Harry the Hipster in drag because drag is a tradition of This begins comedy. the long storied tradition in the Muppets of just Muppets wearing wigs and playing women. Yeah, well, they only have one female yeah. allowed per cast, so you have to do that also, Miss Piggy is essentially a drag queen. Yep. So, long tradition here of, of Muppet drag, yeah. essentially. Uh, this bit kind of dragged for me, but I think it was probably very funny if you had a cultural oh, background where westerns were everywhere. It's probably better if you know Gunsmoke, which, I mean, I'm not even that familiar with it. I just know it There was by a, name. a joke in it that I thought yeah. was quite funny, where he says something about a showdown, and then another person comes in and he's like, Okay, I heard. Did you did you call for me? I'm from the theater department, and it was a. He said something about a showdown on the street. You know, 
Showdown on Main Street. There was something about uh, there being a stagecoach, and he said he was the drama teacher, which makes him yeah, a stagecoach. Like the stagecoach. Which he heard there was a showdown on Main Street. I would honestly be way happier if this was like a, a, a segment about this confused drama teacher in a western. <laughs> Just, like, trying to deal with all of these drama puns going on around him. That would be very good. But that is not the show we have. Anyways, the Yorick, the really creepy one, is the villain, which is suitable. And it's Pun Smoke. Yes. Pun Smoke. The ending title card after all of these jokes is just Pun Smoke, which is great. Pun Smoke. Yeah, we're already seeing in Sam and Friends the Muppets, like, as themselves playing other characters, which is a standard thing for the Muppets to do. Like, a lot of times in the later movies, you have the Muppets being credited like actors for playing these parts. Yes. The thing that is distinct about that, however, in Sam and Friends, is that they don't consistently keep a voice. Which is one of the ways that the Muppets are very clearly distinguished besides, like, their puppets is that they all have a specific voice that doesn't really change even if they're inhabiting other characters. Yes. Whereas in Sam and Friends, their voices will change dramatically between segments. They're not... There is a default for each character, seemingly. And then if they're playing a different character, they will just have a different voice. Which is a bit unsettling, honestly, because it... Because I'm so used to them being a specific being. So when Kermit has a different voice, it's upsetting. (laughs) Yeah, there's less of a clear definition of who each of the characters is uh, in and of themselves. They're a bit more freeform with how they use them. That's probably just, again, a form of the medium, right? It's five minutes variety show. You don't really have the time or the reason to sink into character development like you do with the Muppets proper. You just have, like a bunch of homemade puppets and you gotta work with what you have. I mean, he was like, what, a college? Like, a college yeah, kid he was, when he, he started was this. So, he started this, yeah. You know what? I don't think I could keep ca- consistent characterization on a bunch of puppets while I was also trying to write papers or one whatever. Of, one of the cool things about Sam and Friends is that with the exception of, I think, one of the puppets, Jim Henson did all the voices himself with the exception of sketches where they used pre-recorded audio and just lip-synced over it okay i thought that there were some sections where they did that they did the recording quality (laughs) of different voices sounds really different on occasion but i don't know enough about yeah like whether or not they're referencing something so that makes sense but that is really interesting jim was a performer it gives you a really good sense of just how much talent and range he had as a performer to do all of this essentially himself like he had uh, his wife jane and their collaborators i think jerry jewel joined this show around this time they did some of the uh, physical performance for the other characters but jim still did all of the voices except i think one regularly uh, henrietta was voiced by somebody else yeah um, she doesn't sound like something in jim's range yeah yeah. I can't imagine in college getting a job making television for one and like spinning that out into a like masterful career where you become the top of your like field 
he had a really interesting run, you know? I am very impressed. I mean, I've always been very impressed by Jim Henson, but this is his early stuff, and it's still very interesting. It has some growth going on, but it's still very interesting. So after Pun Smoke, was it just like a promo for the show? Not an actual section from the show, just like a promo for it. Yeah, it was a promo, had the time slot for the show, uh, and just images of Kermit with uh, hand-drawn animation over top. Yeah, so that was interesting to me because it showed that even when the show was like, I don't know when this was in comparison to the run of the show, but Kermit was the figurehead for this show that was called Sam and Friends. It took us almost till the very end of this compilation to find a single thing with Sam, the titular character in it. Like, this show is called Sam and Friends. Sam is not all that important. It doesn't seem like. It's mostly about the friends. And specifically mostly about Kermit. Yeah. So the next section uh, didn't have a title card on the video that we watched, but it is a horse named Bill. And this is Kermit playing the banjo. Which was so exciting to me. Like yes. We only get like three things in and it's already Kermit on a banjo. Kermit on a banjo is one of my favorite things, yep. I gotta say. And this song is great. This is a great Kermit on a banjo bit. So Kermit here is lip syncing to a recording of the song A Horse Named Bill, uh, sometimes called Luna, referring to the singer of the object's affection when featured in exhibits. But yeah, this is something that the show did a lot in the early years, is they would have the puppets lip sync to uh, existing recordings, usually songs. Yeah, they started with the musical variety stuff yeah. early on, which is a staple of the Muppets. It, I mean, it makes sense that they did a lot of, like, pre-recorded stuff when they didn't have, like, their own songwriters, and probably Jim wasn't writing anything, and they didn't have Paul Williams, and they didn't have time, frankly, yeah. to write music. Uh, this mean, song was funny. Also, it's just a funny song. So, yeah. It's easier to do musical variety puppet lip syncing that's actually funny when variety songs are still popular, which, like, joke songs were, like, still number one hits. Novelty into, songs. Novelty yeah. songs were popular into the 60s, which that doesn't, like, that doesn't happen now unless it's connected to a YouTube video. And then it's usually not the lyrics that are funny. With the exception of what does the fox say, which is several years out of date at this point, but I hold this still kind of funny. But I like comedy music sections. I was kind of surprised this was pre-recorded from a different thing, because the voice matches really well, actually, to what Kermit usually sounds like. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is fun. But I liked it. It was good. Yeah, this is great. This is Kermit. This is one of my favorites. Living his truth. <laughs> Kermit. Chasing his bliss. Yep. Uh, the next section was another meat uh, advertisement for SK Quality <laughs> yeah. Meats. All of the surviving ad breaks are for, for meat. There are some commercials that are not like salmon friends that have like existed still for Wilkinson's Coffee, uh, which we didn't take notes on, but I'm going to talk about the Wilkinson's Coffee ads because they're very I funny. also want to talk about the wheels. And the wheels, and yes. Whatever. The wheels one is another one. 
We'll get to this later. But we're going to talk right now about, this was another uh, meat one. This one's just about, uh, this one's just got Harry the Hipster in it. And this one introduces the SK tagline, the like slogan. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yes. Uh, Taste the difference quality makes. I'm 100% sure I've heard that attached to a different product before. I don't know what the like laws about local meat slogans are, to be fair. Uh, Brought to you by SK. SK is quality meat products. Anyways, the next section after that was C'est Bon, which was another one with pre-recorded music. C'est Bon. C'est Bon. Original song, like the song's recorded by Eartha Kitt once. It's mostly in French, um, and it has a puppet that I don't know the name of. Uh, This is Moldy Hay. Yes, Moldy Hay, and then it has the players. Yeah, Hank Hank and Frank Frank are in the background. What makes this a good sketch is the setting is this little French village, which you get because uh, Hank and Frank are speaking with French accents. C'est bon! And uh, Moldy Hay is trying to explain to them that he wants them to uh, sing a like background for the song that he's going to perform and they don't understand so he uh, starts the song and they just keep breaking in with their line that say Simon just when they're not supposed to yeah it's very similar to uh, the classic joke in Menomena where the singer is going off the rails from what the other people want yeah. I don't think it's as well executed as Menomena, which is a classic of comedy, in my opinion. No, but it's got some charm to it. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, I think the fact that the whole lyric structure is in French does kind of leave a lot of it where you're just like, <laughs> okay. Unless you're familiar with the song, which I'm guessing the audience would have been, because it was probably popular at the time. Uh, this song is also just about, like, gold digging, basically. <laughs> yeah, we looked up the lyrics after. It's, like, the first half is about the from joy the of point of view rela- of a man yeah. who is, like, being in a relationship is great. I've got this great lady. And then the last half of the song is this lady being like, what up? I got all this stuff from my boyfriend. Cars! Money! Cars and money and diamonds. Yeah, it's, uh, diamonds are a girl's best friend, but in French, I guess. It's not, actually, but it's very similar to that. Uh, the next one is another meat break, but it is, like, a meat break that I actually wrote down stuff about because it was, like, also a sketch and it was funny. Yeah, this is a good one. This one's a great one. This meat break is probably my favorite of the advertisement sections, for SK, anyways. And it is a joke wherein she looks kind of like, we didn't describe her, she looks kind of like Robin, Kermit's nephew, but with a yellow wig. She's another felt one. She looks kind of like a frog, but she's not a frog. I don't know what she is, but I like her. She is talking to a magic mirror from Snow White. Yeah. The Snow White magic mirror. And she's like... Played by Yorick. Played by Yorick, but you don't see his face, so it's it's behind the mirror, so whatever. It's supposed to be kind of creepy. So she's... Asking who's the best chick in the world. And then he just goes on about how great SK Chicken is. And then she's like, okay, you're gonna give me a freaking, like, you're gonna give me a straight answer this time. Who's the smartest? Well, it's it's the fried chicken from SK Meat Products. And it's just breaking this poor frog, like, puppet's heart. Yeah. Because every time she wants compliments, she just gets more information about delicious SK chicken. 
I really kind of want SK meat after like watching all of these ad breaks. Like we can't get it because it's from like Washington. This podcast brought to you by the delicious taste of SK meats. They're not paying us. We're just talking about them a lot. We just like meat. Yeah, I mean, like, this is not a vegetarian-friendly television, so sorry, guys. This one's very meat-heavy. Yes. Salmon Friends. Salmon's Friends. Not vegan-friendly. Salmon Friends, brought to you by carnivores. <laughs> um, so we got so the this, SK ad. The next one is I've Got You Under My Skin, another lip-sync uh, lip performance. performance. Mm-hmm. The, the Muppets were the first lip-sync challenge, really. What makes this one good? And I'll give them credit for this, even in the sketches where they do the lip syncing usually there's a twist like a comedic twist on it that makes it interesting uh in this case there's a group of puppets that are singing the song and then kermit comes on and starts spoken word trying to uh, recite the lyrics to them while they sing uh, but he keeps getting it wrong and the choir just starts singing his like words yeah it's like so he like interrupting starts, kermit is the joke he at the like first. accidentally starts corrupting the song as the choir sings it yes the puppets in this are i think hank and frank again uh hank and frank and, and icky gunk icky gunk this is the, the one with the snake uh which is a great puppet and i love it uh and they're starting off singing i've got you under my skin uh this is also one of the ones that survived in color yes which is interesting um Although the color gets a little disrupted later on, I think. It ends up, Kermit, this is the point where it's revealed that Kermit isn't the right shade of green. Or <laughs> yeah. at, least, at least he isn't in this color version. Maybe the puppet was brighter and it didn't record well, or this version is bad. But Kermit is, like, pale and, like, gray. He's still kind of green, kind of a bluish gray though um anyways after kermit's interrupting they start speeding up too much and end up just breaking into on top of old Smokey instead of the actual song yep so that's pretty funny also this is another one where kermit's not really in modern character because he's like interrupting something that's going on and breaking it apart as opposed to normally that kermit would be doing something solid and somebody else would mess things up for him but it's fine because it's not kermit the frog it's kermit's weird cousin kermit the lizard or maybe it's kermit before his transition again chase your bliss kermit it is kermit though because in kermit's uh in kermit's uh memoir slash self-help book (laughs) he uh recounts his time at salmon friends okay so, so canonically, this is the same Kermit. So it's Kermit before his transition. Yep. To frog. So transition yeah. from lizard to frog. Yeah. Kermit is uh, LTF <laughs> lizard to frog. <laughs> Sorry, this might be it's not appropriate joke, but he's Ooh. he's a good role model. Okay, he's yeah. living his best life. Uh, the next one is poison to poison, which is an interview right. show joke which i think nathan's got this one context has for. some layers okay because this, this one, one i barely understood this one and the next one have some contextual layers that we have to peel back here <laughs> okay so do we want to describe the overall sketch the, first yeah. or do we want to just get into the layers so the sketch itself has it's framed as a interview show called poison to poison where harry, harry the hipster is the, the hipster interviewer interviews Alfred Hitchcock, as played by Chicken Liver. 
Yes. Who is in his apartment and he... His apartment is very spooky. It's very spooky. That he's got yes. spooky things in his So apartment. he keeps walking through his apartment and Harry the hipster will like ask him about something and he'll give a kind of benign answer and then on follow-up question will reveal the thing to be creepy or morbid or, or morbid there's a really there's one really dark joke about a gas <laughs> yeah. chamber which is like okay um it's like making a joke about having a gas chamber in your basement in your basement 10 years after the end of world war Two is a bold move i don't know maybe it was a little later maybe it was in the 60s but either way implying that alfred hitchcock has a gas chamber seems like a bit like i'm sure it All wasn't right. intended to be a dig but like you know which is where we'll get to the uh context part of this so that's the sketch itself is the these jokes about how creepy and macabre Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock Hitchcock's is. apartment is. This is actually lip-synced from a spoken word track by artist Spike Jones, not director Spike Jones with a Z, <laughs> but Spike Jones with an S. A different Spike Jones. From 1959, from the album Spike Jones in Stereo, a spooktacular in screaming sound. <laughs> where... I'm sorry, can we, we're just taking a moment. To appreciate a, spooktac- a spooktacular oh, and stereo sound. It's a great title. I, if we could, I would want to buy this because that is a Just for the whatever the cover is, I'm sure it's beautiful. So they're lip syncing from this track, which is performed by a voice actor named Paul Freeze. And this is a spoof of an existing interview series called Person to Person. <laughs> by edward r murrows so what we have here is there was an interview show called person to person which got spoofed by spike jones with this voice actor on this record which is then being lip-synced and performed by muppets on salmon friends that is some layers. Okay. Yes. So I could tell that it was a parody of something because there were some things in it that were too specific to be anything else. But I did not know. I mean, person to person, I think I've heard of, but I my brain it sounds gonna vaguely make, familiar. But didn't yeah, make the connection. Poison to poison makes sense as a person to person spoof, only in the context of an entire thing that's spooky spoofs. Yeah. If it's just. Because in the context of the sketch, the interviewer isn't spooky. He's just an interviewer. Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock is the weird one. This also, I assume, is vaguely referential to the fact that Alfred Hitchcock had a television show. That's referenced in the track. Yeah. Where he talks about his TV show. Which it was... Uh, Alfred Alfred Hitchcock Hitchcock Presents. Presents, yes. It was a horror thriller anthology series, kind of akin to uh, The Twilight Zone. Yeah, it was was a thing that was also popular... Yeah, I've never seen. I have not seen it, but I like Hitchcock. Yeah, well, I have mixed feelings about Hitchcock. I like him for the most part. Yeah, I don't know. He kind of lost me on some of his movies. um, Not all of his movies are good. (laughs) We're not going to just... This isn't Hitchcock Hour. This is the Rainbow Connection. Uh, The next one, however, is spookier than any Alfred Hitchcock movie I've ever seen. Yes, the next one also needs some explaining. Okay, can I just describe my experience watching this first? Go ahead. I have the floor. Okay, so imagine you cut from this like fun, goofy little interview section where Alfred Hitchcock apparently has a gas chamber, so you're already in a bit of a weird spot, to Yorick, who again is like a weird purple head with really deep inset eyes and like a hard face and like a 
jaw that like opens like a snake's because you know he's a puppet and he opens his mouth really really wide and he has one human-sized hand and he goes on this monologue about how sometimes he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's hungry and he just can't stop eating and he's just there's just like a plate of stuff and he just eats and it just goes on for a really long time and it's called where hunger is from and he just keeps talking about being hungry and eating and it's not like the fun rapturous eating of a cookie monster it's just eating it's kind of ponderous almost it's kind it's just unsettling if you have an explanation that will make it less creepy <clears throat> i am all ears okay although it won't take away the fact that i just find the puppet so, upsetting <laughs> that's totally fair it's a very creepy sketch it's Probably the weirdest one in this whole collection. Oh, by far the weirdest one in this collection. But what we have here is another case where they're lip syncing from an existing track. Okay, this is another thing. When I mentioned the voices changed earlier, this is part of the reason. When it's lip syncing music, that's fine. Like, you notice that. But like, okay, it's a recording of music. Mm-hmm. When it's just speaking, that's when it's really unsettling. That is weird, yeah. Because this guy normally does not have this deep, deep, spooky voice. Which does not do him any favors. So, there was a jazz performer named Ken Nordine who had a technique that he would do where he would just kind of like beat poetry, would uh, just vamp in spoken word in like the middle of his jazz songs. Okay. So this is a section from one of his, uh, one of his tracks from the 1957 album Word Jazz. Word Jazz. Where he just Word Jazz sounds like an edutainment game. On a like ponderous tangent about midnight snacking. And then that was taken and used in Salmon Friends for this segment. The other unique thing about Puppet that I think ties this whole sketch together is that Yorick was unique in that he was the only puppet that could actually eat things. Yeah, because there was Cause a, there was like a hole at the bottom he's a of solid, his mouth. Yeah, he's a solid body, and inside the mouth there's a tube, which means you can put things inside the mouth and then remove them without gumming up the work. So they were showing. So off. they were showcasing this puppet, and they used this section of spoken word jazz to as an excuse to illustrate that. But the overall effect is very creepy. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think the cultural context actually makes it much less upsetting this time. Because I don't actually know if I was listening to a jazz record and all of a sudden... Like, if I was expecting it, it wouldn't, like, upset me that all of a sudden there was speaking. But how long it goes on. It's and a the, very like, long thing. It's not interesting, really. So when it's covered with a puppet eating stuff very weirdly with his disshaped, like, un... Like, unusually large hand shoving food, real food, as far as I can tell, into his weird puppety mouth. And, like, it's you don't keep attention on the, the weird spoken word jazz poetry because this much more weird thing is happening in front of you. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's certainly memorable. I just feel like if I saw this as a child, it would haunt me for the rest of my life. Oh yeah, I was saying when we were watching it, this is the kind of thing that like a kid stumbles on like late night TV when their parents aren't paying attention and sees it and it just haunts them in the back of their mind for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and like, 
I guess it's good for the sake of the psyches of the children of the era that we have this one as proof. Because if you remembered this, like if you were a child and you saw this show regularly and you swear you could remember this one section that was just Yorick just sitting at a table and eating for five solid minutes. This like quiet jazz beat playing in the background. Yeah, that almost sounds like the heartbeat of a man you killed and buried in your like (laughs) your house. If you had seen this and you could remember it and there was no proof it existed, if it, nobody had kept it, how, like, that would haunt you forever. At least it would haunt me forever. Like, I would go to my grave wondering whether or not that was a thing that actually happened or, like, a nightmare that I had because of all of the lead in the walls because it was the 50s. Also, another point here, uh, Yorick is creepy, but also I just clued together he looks like a skull. He's probably named after the skull in Hamlet. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a creepy freaking thing for a puppet to be. You didn't put that together? Well, because I kind of was just thinking that the skull thing was an accident. But no, he looks that like was, a skull on purpose. That was probably intentional, yeah. I just kind of thought he looked creepy on mistake. But I think he was intentionally creepy, which means Jim Henson was maybe just fucking with people that day. <laughs> like, Jim was tired and he had exams and, like, whatever. Uh, let's just have the puppet eat for five minutes straight. So that's where hunger is from. It was followed by one of the best ones. This, I think this one is my legit favorite. I think it's the best one. Out of all the ones that we saw. It's actually really good and meta and interesting. It's like a great section. It's it's, just a good thing. It's really fun. It's really funny. And it's also really original and technically interesting. Yeah, I liked this one. It's called Visual Thinking. And this one is actually like, you can find this on YouTube separated out. And it's got lots of views. So I think people know about, well, not this people, but like, yeah, there are those of us who probably would have seen it. This is one of the more famous surviving ones, I think. So this sketch, uh, Kermit is reading a book about how to visualize his thoughts. Literally. Yeah, every time he says a thing, a little, like, 2D drawing of the thing pops up above his head. Yeah, so it's it's layering 2D animation over the, the footage. And Kermit is trying to learn how to visualize his thoughts, and then Harry the Hipster comes in and starts kind of showing off because... he's really good at visual He's thinking. a natural. He can just do it. Yeah, he's been able to do this for ages. At this point, it feels kind of Sesame Street, like it's introducing the concept of visualized thinking, and I'm like, this is kind of fun. And then it starts getting, like, a little bit meta and a lot more, like, wild, and I really enjoy it. Harry the Hipster is, like, my favorite Sam and Friends character, by the way. He's great. I'm kind of sad. Like, the thing that I learned watching this is that I'm kind of sad that these characters don't exist anymore, because it's like, why why couldn't Harry make the crossover? You know, he's fine. He probably looks weird in color. But anyways, next yeah. bit. So so Harry starts he, he starts explaining more and more advanced forms of visual thinking and he's rearranging things, the visual elements in the air and Kermit's very things impressed. Like that. Kermit's very impressed. And then he starts talking about visual jazz. It's how he had to stop doing visual thinking because it doesn't interact well with jazz. Yes because it's dangerous to do visual jazz. And then he gives a couple examples where he basically just jazz scats and these crazy curvy lines show up all over. And uh, the reason it's dangerous is because in order to erase jazz, jazz just stays. It doesn't go away on its own. Jazz stays in your head. Yeah, nothing else, everything else will just fade away. But jazz, jazz will stay there forever. Unless you sink it backwards. So he... 
does his scanning backwards Which and they reverse the recording so the animation like, erases yeah so he does that and kerbit's like oh that's really cool C- can you show me again and he's like okay yeah, he does it another time and then he's like well, there's a little bit more and he does a very long jazz scat and he tries to erase and he's like well, see this is the problem if you don't remember exactly what you say and say it exactly the same backwards you just do more Kermit starts getting nervous and he's like well try it again and he tries to erase it and it just gets worse because he he said something new he didn't say it backwards and then just starts <laughs> filling up the entire space he just keeps trying and it keeps filling up the entire space until the uh, visual thinking erases them yeah they and they fade out of existence <laughs> it's a great little absurd joke and it's so good it's very so up my alley humor wise and it's it's got a great build to it. Yes. And you're just interested in this like weird world that's building up the, until the point where it's like, oh no, this is going to go bad. The other great joke inside it is that, uh, so like it starts out where Kermit will say like specific things to try and get the visuals to appear. Yeah, like bird. Uh, but then like as the conversation goes on, sometimes things will just like start showing up above Kermit and <laughs> He makes a comment about, Harry makes his comment about jazz and how it doesn't interact well with jazz. And then Kermit says that he's not into jazz, so he doesn't really understand. And then a square appears around Kermit's Kermit's head head because Kermit's a square because he doesn't understand jazz. Yes, it's very funny. And I mean, that moment was a little La La Land, but it's still very funny. So the next one... Is less good. Another Western section called Riding Horses Backwards, which is basically what's on the tin. Yep. It's, they're riding their horses. They're trying to, like, get around each other. And, like, part of the problem is that they just don't have enough space in, like, the studio or the, like, setup they're moving to actually move the horses around in any way that's actually interesting to look at. So it's mostly just the puppets moving back and forth on horses. Yeah. Basically, they're talking over each other. They're trying to get around places. They're moving the horses backwards. It's what's on the tin. The idea is potentially very funny, but it's yeah. not really that good. This is kind of muddled. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, the Western stuff, again, also probably just funnier if Westerns are your entire existence as a child, because that's what being a child in the 50s was. Yep. The next sketch is Old Black Magic. The first appearance of Sam! Yes, we ding, finally ding, 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 see ding. Sam. 31 minutes out of 39 minutes. In this, this section, we have the first appearance of the titular Sam. This is another musical performance lip sync. Sam is dancing in a TV screen to the song Old Black Magic. And he's a little bit creepy looking. I'm sorry. <laughs> a little My bit, yeah. The reason he didn't survive is because he's a little bit creepy looking. And uh, Kermit shows up and they perform the duet together lip syncing to the song. And that's essentially it. Yeah, it's, there isn't much of Kermit's a in drag. twist on that. Oh, right, yes, Kermit is in drag. That is such a minor element, but like, I, I mean, it's so that they can do the female that. voice. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much to it. It doesn't really have much of a joke to it. The choreography is impressive. The fact that they have like a, that Sam is, you can see like his torso and legs and he's doing kind of a full dance. Yeah, that's impressive. The Sam puppet's impressive on the like articulation level. Yeah, but. He's kind of weird in the face. Like, his body is impressive. His face is kind of leaves something to be desired. It's that conflict between the fact that his body is movable and his face is not. solid. 
Yeah. Like his jaw moves, but nothing else does. He he also has like a humanoid flesh tone some of the time, which is yeah. a bit weird. Like he's just a slightly off yellow, so he just kind of looks jaundiced. <laughs> Anyways, the next section I thought was very funny. One of my favorites was uh, Singing in the Rain. This is a great one. It has that same small frog-like Muppet with the curly wig that we can't identify, but is a girl Muppet. She's singing yeah. Singing in the Rain from the classic Singing in the Rain. This one I do know culturally. That's a good song. It's from a good musical. And she's, you know, in the rain. And she starts off in the proper mode of being, like, happy. And then it starts, lightning starts. And it starts, like, downpouring. And she just starts drowning. And she's still trying to sing this song she's about being in love. She's trying to sing faster and faster as the rain pours down on her. And the song is about, like, higher, being super happy. Higher. And, like... And the water level rises. And then she drowns. Yep. It's it's just very funny. It's just a good it solid ends build. It her just like sinking into the bucket of water and drowning. And that's why that puppet doesn't show up anymore. It's funny. She died. It's it's a good sketch. It's good. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a contrast between the tone of the song and, uh, you know, the fact that it is raining. Like, get yep. inside, you crazy man. Next one. Well, there was a final section to the video. Right, right. Um, which was... I don't remember what the, who the characters were, but it was some of the puppets talking about Muppets Incorporated. Yes. The, which I think this must have been around time where the Muppets were kind of forming into like an actual company. Yes, because at this point, there are more Muppets that we recognize. It's not just Kermit, because they mention Ralph has been on Jimmy yes. Dean's show on ABC. This was part of where I think Jim Henson's like national popularity was starting to to rise because Rolf performs on the Jimmy Dean show. Yes, and kind of gets the Muppets uh, a little bit higher on the map. And this is also around the time some of the independent commercials, uh, like outside of Salmon Friends, uh, the Muppets were being featured in television commercials for other products. They also in this bit mentioned that they had been on a ser- like a lot of different children's programs, like Muppets had been showing up on other like networks, children's shows. We couldn't figure out exactly what this was referencing. After this, they mentioned that they're doing a pilot right, for right. their own children's show, which we know that they did some pilots after Salmon Friends, but that those Muppets pilots specifically were aimed at an adult audience, which we're going to talk about those later if we can track them down. We don't know if we'll be able to. They like specified that it was a children's pilot. And if this is at the tail end of Salmon Friends, assuming it's at the tail end of Salmon Friends, this would be like 1960... Um, 61. 61? show ended. It's cool seeing just this evolution of the Muppets as characters and Jim Henson as a performer coming into his own and starting these new endeavors. Yeah, it is interesting watching this thing grow, and it's unfortunate that more of it hasn't survived. Yeah, it and is. That, and even if it had, it does seem like you can only really understand the growth of the Muppets from a wider understanding of where they were appearing elsewhere. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just Sam and Friends. Sam and Friends might have been where they started, but they got out there pretty quickly, yes. it seems like. Because everybody loves Muppets. We went out of our way to look for a couple other things from around this time. There were some commercials that were notable. Yes. This one apparently was unaired, but... Yes. It is an amazing commercial, and it's a freaking waste, because it's a great, like, a great ad. 
this is the first appearance of the puppet that would eventually be used as Cookie Monster in Sesame Street. Yes, it is essentially a Cookie Monster. He's a little bit smaller. I think his teeth are a little bit sharper. Yeah, he looks like a slightly meaner, more gremlin-y but Cookie is, Monster, but he's Cookie Monster. Yeah, this is clearly the design that was used for Cookie Monster. He isn't Cookie Monster in this context, though. Yep. In this context... He's the wheel stealer. He's the wheel stealer. So the joke is... Somebody's trying to prepare for a party, and they're trying to use these snack foods from this specific company, and there's wheels, flutes, and crowns. Yes. They are shaped like things, and they're cheese snacks. I think mostly cheese snacks. So the first one is you gotta watch out for those wheel stealers, and so he puts out the bowl of the wheels, which are wheel-shaped food. The wheel stealer sneaks up behind the table and munches down all the wheels. Munches down all the wheels. And he's like, ah, well, get some flutes then. But then he sets out the flutes. And the flute snatcher comes. The flute snatcher comes, which is this bird-like creature with this hooked nose. is very cool. Flute snatcher is a great design. It's got this great, like, long, pointy, kind of toucan-faced looking thing. I love it. Yeah. So the flute's gone. He decides he's I think he sneaks out, out from under the table or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he, he, he like sneaks out from under the table and does like a like zips back and forth across the screen yeah. and steals the, the flutes. So with the flutes gone, our intrepid hero decides to set out crowns. Yes, which are crown shaped. Which are crown shaped snacks. And he's what he's in front of the television, full of crowns, and out of the television comes the crown grabber. Who Which, just grabs the whole bowl and then runs off. Yes. Crown Grabber is like a hairy monster-style Muppet. He's got kind of a... He's a little bit proto-Sam the Eagle it's a little in like the Sam facial Eagle in the design. Face, but he's more of a, like, regular monster Muppet. Yeah. In uh, hair quality. So, so then there's a narrator that's like, you better watch out in your family. There could be wheel stealers and, and flute, snatchers. flute snatchers and crown grabbers in your home. And then there's a shot of all the puppets with the box, with the of, their box food. of their food and they're like eating the snack. And then it cuts, jump cuts, jump cuts directly to just three people, like a mom and uh, Two like a little kid. Yeah, and they're just eating the snacks. Yeah. The joke being, you better watch out or your family's, your family's gonna steal gonna your, snack eat all your snack food. <laughs> Which is good. It was a solid so joke, and it's really cute. Yeah, it's and like, it's so it's a really funny and like well constructed commercial. I'm really kind of disappointed that it didn't air because it's really good. Yeah, like good by modern commercial standards. But, even like I would if I saw that on a YouTube break or whatever, that would be a good food commercial to me. Yeah. They did also succeed in describing the flutes, crowns, and wheels in a way that made me think they sounded tasty. Mm-hmm. So, good good on them. They were tasty enough that various monsters <laughs> came to eat them. So yeah, Jim Henson, great like commercial writer. Yeah, the other commercials that we're going to talk about, which I did, we didn't watch all of them, but we have seen them before, is the Wilkinson's Instant Coffee commercials. Wilkins, yes. This actually features two puppets that were made specifically for for this ad campaign, and there are two characters named Wilkins and Wotkins. <laughs> Wilkins looks kind of like a frog. Yeah. Yeah. Which does seem to be a default Muppet model, is looks kind of like a frog. So the joke in these in this campaign is Wilkins makes a 
comment or ask, asks a question to Wontkins about what kind of what, coffee he drinks or what whether he wants whether a he cup wants of the delicious of, yes. Wilkins instant coffee. And Wontkins says no. And then Wilkins will, in some comedically violent way, dispatch of Wontkins. Yeah, murder him usually. Yeah. So there's one where he drops him out of a plane. There's one where he just, doesn't he just shoot him in the face? There's one where he just shoots him. He just whips out a gun and shoots Wontkins in the face. Like these ads are surprisingly like, I don't know, modern in their humor sense to me. Like they're really dark, but I dig them. They get away with the violence because it's puppets it's and puppets. it's really over the top and it's yeah, just this is a very funny campaign wilkins comes off as a complete psychopath oh he's crazy yeah like oh there's one where he smashes his head in a car yeah because he's like fixing a car when he offers this guy coffee and he just murders him with his own car it's very funny i don't know jim henson was good at commercials the muppets are great for commercials it's weird how Disney is failing to use them yeah. for commercial purposes. They are designed to be good at that. Yeah, his commercials are these like short, snappy, really funny commercials. They're just really good. Which explains why Muppets were so good in Vines for the short period of time. Vine was a thing. Uh, Muppet Vine. I think there's a couple Vines with Kermit in them because there's also clips from like Sesame Street and whatnot. Because Muppets are great for short-term comedy. They're also good at long-form comedy, but they do excel at, like, six-second random bits of joke. Is there anything else about Sam and Friends that you really felt you need to tell us, fun fact-wise or otherwise? So, I've said most of the fun facts that I had just over the course of the episode, but there is one thing I want to highlight, which is... A less fun fact? A mixed bag... Of crowns and wheels and flutes? (laughs) No. Aww. It is the fact that there was a finale for Sam and Friends. Oh, yes. We don't know what the premiere was because that's just too far back. It doesn't exist anymore. They don't even know what order most of the surviving episodes were aired in, so we don't know how early any of them were. (laughs) But there was a finale, and it was written by Jim Henson in 1961, and the finale isn't viewable. Footage of it exists, I think, but it's not viewable to the public. You can't find it. But we do have the script for the last episode. Oh my gosh, the entire script? The entire script. It's a three-page script handwritten by Jim Henson, who uh, apparently kept a journal for most of his like later career up into the 80s. That's really neat. Which he calls uh, his Red Book. Maybe we'll do an episode on that if we can get more information about it. But included in it is uh, the three pages for the last Salmon Friends show. Which involves Kermit and our our two favorites, Kermit and Harry the Hipster. Yay! Who were two of the most popular characters on the show, so they kind of got to send the show off. And what we have here is Kermit and Harry are on the set of Sam and Friends, and Harry asks Kermit about this sign that the day before yesterday said X minus 3, and yesterday it said X minus 2. And today it says X minus one. And he asks Kermit, what's up with that? And Kermit says, oh, well, that's that's the number of shows that we have left. And then they realize that they're on the last show. And it's the last Salmon Friends. And Harry, understanding this, decides, well, if this is the last episode, I guess we don't need these sets. And (laughs) Harry then proceeds to go around 
blowing up the sets and the wardrobe and eventually the control room for the Salmon <laughs> Friends studio because they don't need it anymore because it's the last show. <laughs> Better go out with a bang, am I right? <laughs> And it ends with Kermit, like, saying goodbye while explosions go off in the background. That seems fitting to yep. me. That's a great finale. Especially for our New Year's episode. <laughs> Nothing says the end of a year, the, the end of an era, end of an era. <laughs> like, like an explosion. Blowing it all sky high. <laughs> it makes me miss Harry even more. I'm sorry for our loss and Harry the hipster. So Sam and Friends was a wonderful journey. A little bit weird. A little bit creepy. A little bit creepy. But you can see the seed of the entire Muppet empire. It's amazing to me how forward-thinking and talented Jim Henson was as a performer, even like right at the beginning of his career. When he was, like, probably younger than us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we know from our future vision that he went on to become wildly successful and establish an institution in entertainment that lasts to this day. Jim Henson was an artist. You said that the episodes that exist mostly exist because Jim Henson purposefully saved them. That they were intentionally kept? That's what it sounds like, yeah. Okay, why do you think he kept some of these? So I can tell a couple of them. I can tell why he would have kept as as baffling as I found it. Uh, where hunger comes from. I can understand why he kept that one, because it's probably the first real example of using a puppet to eat food. Mm-hmm. And he probably just wanted hard evidence of how that looked, and so he could work on it and improve it in the future. And I can probably understand visual thinking, because it's great, and also is doing something very interesting, and he probably wanted to keep hold of it to see how it turned out. But, like, what about pun smoke and riding horses backwards and, like, like a lot of them are just covers of songs? Yeah, I don't know which of them specifically he chose to keep, but I would guess, I don't know, maybe he just found some of them particularly funny, personally. Yeah, I mean... Or maybe there were elements of them that he wanted to be able to refer back to, or maybe things that he wanted to change, like that he wanted to be able to reference in order to like change or improve something later. That's potentially interesting. I mean, maybe part of the reason so much music exists of Sam and Friends is just maybe that was most of what the show was. It sounds like it was, especially during the first several years. Because, I mean, if you're doing 10 minutes of content every week and you already have, like, university to attend, like, you're going to college, I feel like... Just a life. And, yeah, just a life. You maybe take the quick route a lot of times. And let's not, not, like, crap on this. Oh, no, they're still very... Yeah. The Muppets and music go together like a hand in a glove. They are designed to be together, so it's not, like cheap or bad it's just you know they're not original so it seems kind of weird in hindsight i also don't know why they kept the one with kermit the banjo because you know kermit banjo another hand in glove jim henson felt something jim henson just knew he knew deep in his heart he knew that kermit played banjo in a swamp and i guess that's the note we're ending (laughs) uh thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the rainbow connection oh nate yes do you think we found it I think we got close, but I think we can do better. All right, well, we're going to keep looking for the Rainbow Connection. Someday we will find it. Our next episode in two weeks is going to be on the 
pilot of the Disney Muppet show. Yes, I think it's just called The Muppets. Yep. Uh, we're probably going to actually do the first couple episodes because one episode of TV is probably not enough to keep on. This show is not well liked, but we will get into that another time. We're moving from the beginning of one era to the beginning of another. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Please uh, like and review on iTunes, which we can now be found yes, on. Yes, you can now find the show on iTunes through anything that uses that search engine. And Apple Podcasts, I guess is what it's called now. Yes, so that would be a huge boon to us. Tell your friends if you exist out there in podcast land. Like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter at BurtNerdTram. You can follow me on Twitter at Kenzie Phoenix. The show podcast is at MuppetsPod. Email us at MuppetsPod at gmail.com. Our opening and closing music is a cover of The Rainbow Connection by Alex Conwell. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you on the flip side of the rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not a good one. We'll workshop it. We'll We'll workshop it. Classic.